Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. This week we're reviewing Queen Elizabeth's favorite chocolate biscuit cake, a cake she loves so much she travels with it. Will we be inclined to stick it in our carry-on too? We'll also introduce a lemon elderflower cake you can make at home to celebrate this week's royal wedding. And finally, we'll have some fun and fascinating trivia about British royalty and the food they eat. So put on your fancy hat and pinkies up, get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, do you remember back in episode 68 when you were talking about your globetrotting gourmet trip to Finland? Okay, I absolutely do, yes. (laughs) So one of the things you mentioned was Finnish squeaky cheese, and I'm not going to try and pronounce it, but remind me the dessert that you had that was involved with squeaky cheese. Oh, it was so good. It was warm squeaky cheese in like a custardy bowl with, then it had some berry jam on top. Yes, like nothing I've ever had. Have you have you encountered this? Well, you know, of course, when you mentioned it, I was like, well, that's nothing I've ever had too. And then I went to the grocery store a few days later, and what was my Hagen store demoing but what we call bread cheese? And <gasps> it says in Finland there is a cheese called the Finnish word. <laughs> just, yes. Just a lipia. Uh, this translates into cheese bread, and we make ours different but better. We oven bake it until it has a brown, crusty top. You should pop it into your oven or your microwave until it warms up, and you can serve it with your favorite dip, a delicious snack. It's good add as is, or you can top it with jam, honey, and walnuts, or syrup. <gasps> it's the same thing. It oh, is. Andrea. Oh, did you try some? Oh, have I not only tried it at the demo, <laughs> I bought one. I tried it at the demo. It was delicious. They were sampling it with um, the honey and the walnuts, which I yeah. loved. Yes. And then I bought a block. I took it home. And, you know, once again, this experience of we talk about something on preheated and all of a sudden it's all around me. I was listening back to an old episode of TBTL and the co-host was talking about how he uses it as sort of a pizza. And so I took it and warmed it and then I put marinara sauce and fresh basil on top. And made kind of a, I guess you'd just call it kind of a cheese pizza, but with no crust. And I've been serving that as an appetizer, which my family really loves. So I have gone back to the grocery store and bought three or four more blocks of this. It comes from a company called Car Valley Cheese, and they are out of Wisconsin. I've gotten it at Hagen, but I've also done a search on the internet, and it looks like they're selling it at every grocery store you can imagine from, you know, Walmart to the really fancy ones. So if anyone wants to try bread cheese, I can highly recommend it now. You do not have to go to Finland. You can just globetrot gourmet right to your corner grocery. I love it. And it sounds like it's so versatile. I mean, the way I ate it was dessert, but there's just every kind of application you can think of. Oh, yeah. Yay. I'm so excited. It's truly one of my favorite things I've ever eaten. But 
I'll have to look here now. I'll yeah. have to see if I can get it here to recreate That's true. it. That'd so. be interesting. Mm-hmm. If not, definitely next year when you return to the state, she'll be able to find it because now, of course, now that you've told me about it, I see it everywhere. <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank you for that. Yeah. Hey, Andrea, have you ever had the the desire to kind of, you know, chuck it all and, and just start your own bakery? Oh, sure. Doesn't every baker? <laughs> It's it is you know I think so many people on our Facebook community and in in our listening community have had that dream as well and I wanted to tell everyone I have a friend who's who's done this and oh. we're going to be watching so closely as she embarks on this adventure so my dear friend Solve who I've known since the first day of kindergarten back in oh. 1980 and introduced me to my husband for which I will forever <laughs> ever be grateful she has just opened her own coffee shop and bakery in Grand Coulee Washington now Andrea that's in uh, Washington state our home state um do you ever do like a road trip to the eastern side of the state or anything like that have you been to Grand Coulee I have been. I have a friend who is a competitive fisherman, and we went along with him on one of his trips, and we stayed in that area because there's some great bass fishing lakes in that area. And yeah. yes, I went to the dam. I think that's a big, mm-hmm. um, you know, part of the Grand Coulee area. And I went to, I think it was called Electric City. And yeah, it's warm. It's beautiful. I love that area. Absolutely. And so listeners, if you guys are planning any road trips this summer, I encourage you to stop by. It's called Voltage, which is perfect for a city that is built, was built around the Grand Coulee Dam, Voltage Coffee House. Love that. And she is making, Andrea, all of her stuff in-house. So listen to what she's been up to. Um, They do, every day they do a brioche cinnamon roll. Mm. a rotating scone, which I take to mean, you know, like plain or with right. currants or with savory, your favorite. Um, and then every day they also do cookies and brownies. On some days they also do muffins, cakes, and tarts. And every day they also have a baguette sandwich for lunch. So I think we might need to chat with Solvay further down the road about <laughs> what it's like to do this kind of baking. Yes. I think so many of our listeners, I know you and I, you know, we love the home baking, but how does that translate into a commercial scale and what are the other kind of things you need to think about Solve is such an amazing baker and cook that I can only imagine how luscious all of these things will be so I encourage anyone this summer to stop by oh, I'm still stuck back on every day they will do brownies and cookies that sounds <laughs> like heaven to me but you're right it would be really fun to have her on after she's got some time under her belt because you know what if you just had like your most beloved brown recipe and you loved it so much and people were like eh, you know this isn't really my favorite and then one day you did some different recipe and people went nuts for it that's it would yes. just be so much fun to hear about that experience so thank you yeah. for telling us about that yeah, absolutely. So you can look um, Voltage Coffee House. It's on Facebook, and you guys can check it out. And um, we're so proud of you, Solvay, and can't wait to hear hear more about your baking adventures. Well, moving just a little bit farther down the road from Grand Coulee, Washington, um, <laughs> let's review our cake from last week. This is the Queen's favorite chocolate biscuit cake from Royal Chef Darren McGrady. And uh, Stefan, can I just give you my one-line review <laughs> right up at the top? <laughs> I cannot wait. Yes, please. 
after making this and after our family eating it, and perhaps I should say devoured rather than eating it, that'll give you a clue about our feelings, I thought to myself, does Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, the longest ruling British monarch (laughs) in history, realize that her favorite cake is nothing but a homemade Kit Kat? Yeah. My review would start much the same way, thinking, Queen Elizabeth, I'm not sure this is a cake, but since you're the longest ruling British monarch, we're going to go ahead and call it that. Sure. Yes. We're yes, just yes. going to go ahead and call it that. Well, and listener Vicky on our Facebook page figured it out much more quickly than I did when she said, huh, this is no bake. And I immediately started laughing to myself because as I was making this chocolate biscuit cake, I make, you know, I print out the recipe and I make little notes on the recipe for myself and yeah. things I want to make sure I mentioned. And I made a note that says I have put big stars around it and I put if this was made in the U.S. we would call it no bake chocolate biscuit cake with five ingredients or less. Oh. <laughs> we totally would play up that aspect of it. That's so true. And I think last episode when we introduced this um, we were talking about how it reminded us of an ice box or a train cake which yes. is coating a, uh, some kind of cookie in like a cream or mm-hmm. or some kind of something like that and letting it soften up and that's what I was thinking this was going to be like initially but I really like your description of a homemade Kit Kat much better I I agree that is what this was like because mine mine stayed crunchy did yours soften at all no mine stayed crunchy too and I have to give yep. the Kit Kat credit to my husband so I'll just kind of walk through some of the the challenges and the issues I had with mine and you know you can jump in and tell me where you had some issues too On last week's episode, we talked about the first instruction, which is this six inch by two and a half inch cake ring that neither one of us had. So I used my seven inch springform pan and just used the collar, you know, so I I knew that I would be able to pop it off. I thought about putting the collar just straight on top of a piece of parchment on -hmm. a baking tray. And I I went back and forth a couple of times. And I'm kind of like you. I don't care if I end up serving a dish on my bottom of my cheesecake pan. It's not really a big deal. But at the last minute, that is what I I did. So I did not use the bottom piece of my cheesecake pan. I just used the top ring. Okay, excellent. And I just buttered a piece of parchment to overhang my 7-inch cake tin. Okay. All right. Yes. Yes. Um, I did get my McVitie's for my tea biscuits. I went to Cost Plus World Market when I was picking up my elderflower syrup, as I advised last week. And while I was there, I was able to get the McVitie's as well. And I really love those. So that was really fun to get those. So I broke those into small pieces. Um, It says break it into small pieces. I actually cut it with a knife, um, which I I thought was fine. I thought that worked a little bit better. Um, The instructions here are interesting. Again, I just always laugh when you read instructions that are more vague than specific. And it says, in a large bowl, combine the butter and sugar until the mixture starts to lighten. (laughs) And so for me, that was about three to five minutes. I don't know about, yeah, same thing. Yep, yep, exactly. Okay. And then I melted the dark chocolate and added it to the butter mixture. Um, I did add that raw egg. I used a raw egg because I am lucky enough to get eggs from a friend of mine. I feel really safe with those. I know some people might not want to use a raw egg. So how did you do on that particular one? 
I was feeling really good about the egg as well, and the quality here wasn't a concern to me. So I went ahead and did mm-hmm. it also. I do think it needs some kind of binding. So if you don't want to use a raw egg, maybe look at using a pasteurized egg product to equal one egg. I do think you you probably need that little bit of moisture. Well, the thing that I found too, when I added that egg in, I was amazed at how the consistency of it changed in the mixer. It, for me, it immediately turned light and fluffy. It almost looked like icing when I was done with that. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And then I folded in the biscuit pieces and then um, I did spoon it into that cake ring, aka springform pan. I was a little confused about try to fill all of the gaps on the bottom of the ring because this will be the top when it is unmolded. I mean, you, I understand the instruction, but how do you know if all of the gaps are filled? Does that just mean like continue to press down or? That's what I did. And I had, I would say, not great success when I did unmold it. Mm-hmm. I, I kept pressing and trying to not have gaps. And it just, there were when I popped it popped it back out. I It, it didn't bother me, I guess. I, yeah. I, I suppose what you're doing is just pressing it down. So mm-hmm. it's really filling the, filling the ring or the tin and you're not... Um, so it's just dense. Okay. Yes, that's okay. what I took that to okay. mean. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's what I did as well. I wasn't quite sure. I did chill it in the refrigerator. Um, it says for at least three hours. I think I did mine overnight just because of the way it was working out for me. And um, I loved instruction nine. I thought this is where I have never seen this instruction in U.S. ingredients. Remove the cake <laughs> from the refrigerator and let it stand. What does that yep. mean? Let right. it come to that- room temperature or... That's what I took that as. But yes, just what's okay. the there? Are we just all looking at it? Is it just looking so beautiful? Are we, oh, look at you standing over there on the counter. Yeah, I, yes, I, I took that to mean let it come, get the chill off. Okay, yes. well, mm-hmm. yeah, that just baffled me. So that, that kind of cracked me up. Um, okay, so meanwhile, as it's standing and you're admiring yes. it, um, <laughs> you are working on your icing or your topping. And this is a dark chocolate. And then it says one... Eight ounces dark chocolate for coating, one ounce chocolate for decoration. So I found that a little confusing as well. And I just completely skipped that one ounce. Stefan, I know you. you. I mean, I'm totally taking a page from Andrea Ballard. And- I love it. Well, and I did experiment a little bit with my dark chocolate, kind of going back to the ingredients. I, I forgot to mention this. I had mentioned a long time ago that... I had seen an article kind of explaining dark chocolate means this percentage and mil- semi-sweet is this percentage. And, you know, you've, you, I'm sure you've noticed, all of us have noticed, the dark chocolates in the stores are getting a higher and higher cacao percentage. Yes. And back when we made that peanut butter pie from Kevin and Amanda a couple yep. of months ago, my husband had made the comment that he felt the contrast between the really bitter chocolate and the creamy peanut butter was too much. Okay. And so I sort of took that to heart. I really wanted to buy one of those dark chocolates that was like 80% or 84%, but I ratcheted down and I found the one that was 62%. And I know semi-sweet is typically about 55%. So I did use a dark chocolate, but it was definitely not as dark as I have usually been using or that I would just eat raw. Um, how about you? Do you know how dark your dark chocolate was? Or I do, and I'm really glad you brought this up because it was an issue for me. My dark chocolate was 70% dark chocolate. Now, mm-hmm. here they have milk chocolate and they have dark chocolate, but they do not have the semi-sweet. So mm-hmm. I would have preferred something less 
bitter. Yes. Especially as it made this so very rich. And I, I mean, I know you're not a huge milk chocolate fan. I think I like that a little bit more. So if I did this again, I, and I was here still in the States, I would use a Mm semi-sweet here. I would do half milk, half dark. I because think it that was would just be too good. overpowering. I liked your point, and I agree with it, that just with those biscuits, which are really bland, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of contrast. And so the dark was was really almost overpowering to me because there's so much of it in this cake. There is. There yeah. is. So I, I'm really glad I did that. So that, And that's good to know that you, know, you had that experience. So I do think yeah. it's worth it to find it a, a little bit on the lower side of the cacao percentage. Um, you do melt your chocolate down to do your icing. And this is where I did a little modification. Sorry, everyone. But I had some heavy whipping cream in my fridge, and I didn't want it to go to waste. So I did make my <laughs> chocolate icing into a ganache instead of just melted chocolate. But part of that was intentional. I wasn't just trying to clean out my fridge on you guys. But I thought to myself, if I just melt chocolate and pour it on top of this cake, the minute I slice it, that chocolate is going to shatter. Which it did. Okay. This was not the most beautiful cake. I'm sorry okay. to disagree with Her Majesty on this, but <laughs> well, it's Darren. It's Darren. Oh yeah, okay. Virgin. I don't right, think yes, Her Majesty yes. thinks it's beautiful. I think she just likes it. Okay, point I mean, it's taken. hard to say. I, I haven't a... chatted with her recently. Yes. So. <laughs> Queen Elizabeth, if you're listening, will you please let us know? That was exactly what happened. It was such a thick coat of the chocolate at the mm-hmm. end, and especially as it sat, or it stood, rather, right. uh, it did. Then you would just have these hunks of the chocolate topping that weren't mm-hmm. attached in any way. So yeah. uh, it was it was not particularly beautiful, although it was kind of addictive, as in we kept kind of picking at it. We kept going back and picking at it. And again, I really like that Kit Kat because – if you think of a cake, and we had this problem, you were, you were speaking earlier about the uh, peanut butter pie. We had the same problem with that dessert in that it was much too rich for my family to eat a slice of this, as you would expect from something called a cake. Yes. But it was much more edible if you're just having a little bit candy bar size yes. of this. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You well, found this too. Uh, we found this absolutely. So especially with that ganache topping, it was, I think, probably thicker. Um, I had more of it. And so it just made it made a really lovely topping and it did kind of smooth things out. So I actually would recommend, if you're going to do this, that you make your topping ganache and not just plain chocolate, uh, although yeah. it does <laughs> increase the richness. And um, then when I was slicing into it, I served it to my husband and I think longtime listeners you'll know my husband's latest exclamation of the best dessert I've ever made was the butterscotch curry pie that we did a while back well I am here to tell you that the chocolate biscuit cake has usurped the butterscotch curry pie he loved this so much and it's so funny because he's not a chocolate guy so I just found it fascinating. But he loves I, – I always forget this. He loves food that has a crunch. And it's kind of yes. rare in desserts to have a crunch, right? You're always kind of creamy and smooth and all that kind of thing. So he just loved the texture of it. I think because I did ratchet down the cacao content, he loved, you know, that it wasn't that bitter, dark chocolate. And the whole time he was eating it, he kept saying – this is reminding me of something. Are you sure you haven't made this before? And I said, no, I've never heard of this. I have never done anything like this. I promise you. My daughter loved it. She also, I mean, I did very thin slices, but we absolutely loved it. It was so good. It was the next day we were taking a walk 
And all of a sudden, my husband just comes to a complete stop, and he turns to me, and he said, it was a Kit Kat. And, and I said, what are you talking about? He said, that cake you made, remember I kept saying it reminded me something? It reminds me of a Kit Kat. Yeah. And we just died laughing because I said, you're 100% right. That's exactly what it's like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, I think that goes to the point, too, that if if I were going to make this again or for people who maybe want to give this a try still, it might work to put it in a sheet pan, a small, maybe half-size yes. sheet pan, because mm-hmm. you have all of the cookie coated in chocolate. That part is done, mm-hmm. and you could press that into your buttered or parchment-lined uh, flat cake, or rather, um, uh, half pan, half sheet mm-hmm. pan, yeah. and then put the, the topping on, and then you could cut it more into a small bar or almost Kit Kat-ish shape. I really... <laughs> I love that description. It is completely right. And it just, it reframes this whole dessert for me. Because one, th- I just couldn't get my head around, it, to me, this was not a cake. No. This was something else. And now I know what it was. It was a homemade Kit Kat. So I well know. done, Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I really enjoyed it. I highly recommend that people make it. I think it is delicious. I think it is really fun. I think grownups and kids alike will like it. And I do 100% agree when it's you're looking at this thing and you're thinking it's six inches and it says it serves 10. Are they crazy? No. It is very rich. It is like having a candy bar. And unless you would sit down and have, say, three Kit Kats at once, not that I'm judging, <laughs> uh, you know, you're not going to want like a full cake size Mm-mm. slice of this stuff. So either Mm-mm. go with that modification. Stefan is recommending. I was thinking the other thing I might do when I make it next time is I have mini loaf pans. And I was thinking I could put it in there and then just slice little wedges. So I might try that. Or a mini muffin tin. That oh, could be cute too. There yeah. you go. A circle mm-hmm. Kit Kat. <laughs> oh, I so know. exciting. So that was um, Queen Elizabeth's No Bake Homemade Kit Kat. No, 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 wait. Her favorite chocolate biscuit cake (laughs) from Darren McGrady. And we've linked to that on uh, Facebook and also on our Pinterest pages. Yeah, that was a fun one. Well, next up, Andrea, is the cake heard around the world. I'm speaking, of course, of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's impending wedding cake it is a lemon elderflower cake we've talked about this in the first episode of this royal month and we were lucky enough to find a do at home version there's many many of them out there but thanks to a listener lydia who had posted one that we went ahead and are are gonna try this week it's from heather at sprinkle bakes and andrea had you had experience or was it our preheated community this uh this baker was come coming highly recommended I think to us yes I have not used her before but several people said oh my gosh I love sprinkle bake so that gave me some comfort because I just want to say right up front I am very very intimidated by this cake I you know it's multiple layers it's frosting it's I mean it's a wedding cake that is what it is and thank goodness I don't have a wedding coming and I haven't promised anyone this cake (laughs) so if I screw it up you know the worst thing that's happened will happen is I've maybe got a few ways ingredients, but I have enlisted the help of a friend of mine who makes beautiful cupcakes and beautiful cakes, and I have asked her if she will help me make this. So I am really hoping when we review this next week that I will be able to have some good results to report because I am getting help. I'm just going to admit it. I'm getting help. And these are all your flavors too, right? I mean, you dearly love lemon. You're on board with the elderflower. And 
last episode in episode 74, Andrea had issued the PSA that it is not (laughs) too early to go get your elderflower cordial. That is one of perhaps the most exotic ingredient that this calls for. It's an elderflower liqueur. Uh, St. Elder or St. Germain are well-known brands, and you want to make sure to have that. If you want to make a non-alcoholic version, you can check and see if you can find a pre-made elderflower cordial. I think that's what I'm going to do, Andrea. That will take that step kind of out for me because it's very sweet. So I will use that instead of making the syrup with the liqueur. That's my plan as well. And as promised when I recorded last week's episode, after I hung up the phone, I went straight over to the Cost Plus World Market. I told the salesperson that I was looking for the elderflower cordial. She gave me a very confused look. And (laughs) I said, I think it would be in the liquor section. It's a sweet liqueur. It might be around that area. So she took me, she she kind of, oh, okay, I know what you're talking about. She took me back to the shelf and there were multiple cordials lined up and then there was an empty slot. And I knew, I knew right away. (gasps) And I looked at the tag and I said, sure enough, that was the elderflower cordial. And then I'm kind of short. She was taller and she said, no, wait. And she reached back and there were, you know, two more bottles in the back. But All those other cordials are not being bought. And the elderflower was already down to two bottles. And she said, why is this selling so quickly? So I explained to her what was going on. Yeah, so she'll know. And yeah, so I really got my fingers crossed that people were able to get it. I made that choice because um, I don't drink a lot of hard alcohol. And I knew if I used that St. Germain liqueur I'd probably just have it laying around forever after that and so I just thought I'm gonna go with the cordial instead yeah and I'm gonna be serving mine to my family I I honestly don't think there's there's probably enough to do any harm uh, no over the course of mm-hmm. you know 12 to 15 right. servings here for anyone <laughs> but I, I that's just something that's really easy for me to find it's everywhere I think we have some in our fridge so that's the one I'm gonna go with otherwise the only other ingredient you want to lay in a ton of sugar including powdered sugar and a ton of butter and (laughs) eggs. So you're going to use seven egg whites, and that's what makes this a white cake, uh, the, the color of it. Andrea, here in the UK, I cannot get cake flour because cake flour is bleached, and there is a ban on bleached flour. So I will be using just plain all-purpose flour for that. And I believe I read in the comments that that was fine if you didn't have or didn't want to use yeah, cake flour. I think especially if you sift it. I think listener Anne has educated me on cake flour, and that's my memory is that she said it's more finely sifted. And so if you use cake flour, it'll just be a little lighter and fluffier. So, you know, maybe obviously just make sure you're sifting if you're using all-purpose flour. Absolutely. So we cannot wait for all of these royal pictures to come flooding in. We hope you bake along with us. So that is the white uh, cake with the elderflower syrup, our version of the lemon elderflower wedding cake for Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's wedding this weekend. And that comes to us courtesy of Heather at SprinkleBakes.com. We will put that link on our Facebook, on our Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, all these places. You can find it. And if you do end up making this cake or any version of the lemon elderflower theme, we would love it if you would post on social media. We're using a hashtag called Royal Wedding Bake. 
instead of royal wedding cake. And we're going to pick one winner from those entries and send them a commemorative tea towel. So um, make sure you do it before May 19th. That's when our little contest is going to end. And just anywhere on uh, social media, you can do Twitter, you can do Instagram, you can do Facebook. Just make sure you tag it with hashtag Royal Wedding Bake. And we would love to see what you come up with. Yeah, and it's an adorable tea towel that's only available here in the UK through the historic royal palaces. So it's also a little bit more rare and it's it's just very whimsical by a UK artist celebrating the big day. Stefan, we're talking all this month about the royals and you and I are both very interested in food history. I know there's a ton of trivia about the food likes and dislikes of the British monarchy out there. We now know that Queen Elizabeth sticks to a pretty strict diet, uh, except, <laughs> except for her... Uh, <laughs> Kit Kat bar, as I love to call it, her homemade Kit Kat. But of course, she travels with her favorite chocolate biscuit cake, which I might do as well, although I don't know how you'd keep that chocolate from melting. That's one of the benefits of being a queen, I suppose. So start us off. What are some of the other foods that she and her family really like? Oh, I loved researching all of this food history, Andrea. There's so much out there. Well, to start off, two of the Queen's grandsons, speaking of the princes William and Harry, they loved McDonald's as children. (laughs) And (laughs) when they were good little princes, their mother, Princess Diana, of course, uh, she would take them out to the McDonald's on Kensington High Street. And that's one of the reasons that she was so well-loved in this nation and around the Mm -hmm. world is she did these kind of normal, everyday kitty things with her children. And so they would go there for a treat, and they particularly were keen on the Happy Meal toy, of course. Isn't that great? It's like, yes, she also knew that sometimes you need to bribe your kid with the Happy Meal toy. (laughs) Exactly. And no word on if uh, Prince Prince George is getting the Happy Meal toy and the, uh, the chicken nuggets, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, another interesting thing, the Queen's husband, Prince Philip, barbecue aficionado. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. So they obviously have the grill. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they have a big, a big green egg, you know. Oh, they have knows? room for it. Um, <laughs> Prince Charles, her son, has been a really longtime advocate of organic farming and starting in the early 80s, I think really well, well before this was a, a trend that you see everywhere now. And he, Andrea, you'll be pleased to know he has a line of organic foods at both Fortnum and Mason and also Waitrose. I read a great article about him in my Waitrose magazine. Of course and you did. his history of uh, support for organic farming and how crazy people thought he was when he started mm-hmm. it. And I yeah. thought it was fascinating. So yeah, that's so interesting how times have changed. And he was on the forefront of that. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything they won't eat? Well, I thought it was really funny. The queen apparently cannot stand garlic. So there is this ongoing mandate, no garlic in <laughs> I wonder how much of that has to do with taste and how much of it has to do with the effects on her body and breath. And, you know, especially in her role, she has to probably be pretty careful about that kind of stuff. You know, that is an excellent point, although one can only hope that in her ever-present handbag, she does have a few mints in there. So... (laughs) How about eating dinner at the palace? I mean, in my head, I'm imagining like fancy dress and elaborate table settings, but maybe they're, you know, just hanging out in the den with the TV trays. <laughs> yeah, maybe when she wants to catch up on the crown, which I've heard she's a, she's a fan of. Oh, well, I didn't um, know I sh- that. Oh, yeah. She apparently really likes it, too. Isn't that something? I love that. 
Um, so I should say that many of these facts come from the same man who did the biscuit cake, Darren McGrady. Um, mm-hmm. And he claims that they dress for dinner like you might imagine they do if you're a fan of Downton Abbey, something, Ugh. you know, the jewels and the furs and all of this. Um, and at the end of the meal, a bagpiper walks around your table playing, which I don't know about you, Andrea, but that's exactly <laughs> what happens <laughs> at my house. So, Well, I think I would need that to wake me up if I was eating yes. one of those full course meals and, you know, draped in jewels every evening. That's just, I, I would need, sort of need that to kick up the excitement level a little bit. I loved it, too, because it was saying that though Her Majesty regularly eats off you know, diamond-encrusted China, you know, gold-plated <laughs> oh China. Guess what she also loves, Andrea? What? Tupperware. Oh. Yes. yes. <laughs> she has been it. known when she goes up to her Scottish estate, Balmoral, she regularly, like, takes snacks out into the, you know, into the mm-hmm. wilderness and um, has been known to eat fruit out of a favorite yellow Tupperware. I bet it's one from the 50s. She strikes me as kind of a, you know, thrifty lady. So <laughs> I yeah. could see her using one that she used as a child. I love I love using all all our good old Tupperware. Well, royals, they're just like us. <laughs> <laughs> so as I mentioned earlier, Queen Elizabeth is the longest ruling monarch in history, but her descendants also had some interesting food likes and dislikes. How about Henry VIII? I know, obviously, he was pretty busy with beheading his wives, but... <laughs> What was happening at his dinner table? Well, you know, <laughs> he loved he loved to eat meat. He was he had very um, strict rules about serving meat. It was definitely seen as a prestigious thing to serve. It was a sign mm. of wealth. Um, but Andrea, at the house that he had built, um, which is a little bit outside of London, and I've visited called Hampton Court, they have enormous kitchens. It's just a, a whole building that is kitchen. And within the kitchen, there is one whole room devoted to baking pies. Yes. Oh, my dream come true. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and you know, one thing I learned when I visited there is that the pie crust that we think of was only used as a vessel. It is what they they baked the pie, like a meat stew, if you think of it, mm-hmm. in that pie crust. And then they ate it out and threw it away. So they weren't eating the crust per se. That's a oh, more modern thing. Huh, that surprises me that they would throw it away. I Well, I guess in, in that particular kitchen there was not as a maybe much of a concern for waste <laughs> or, or pinching two, pennies think, right and two I think because of how it, it was cooked maybe over an open fire it might have gotten mm. kind of sooty or you know it wasn't good maybe point. super appetizing but yeah good point mm-hmm. good point mm-hmm. what about yeah. the first Queen Elizabeth Henry's daughter Queen Elizabeth I uh, loved sugar and so probably would have listened to Preheated if we were on back in the day. <laughs> oh, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And um, in fact, she particularly loved gingerbread, which I know is one of my favorites. And uh, uh, I know. A woman after my own heart as well. Yeah, you too. <laughs> yeah. I know. Uh, what about Queen Victoria, another long ruling queen? I know. I think she's one of your daughter's favorites as well. Uh, she seems like a woman with a healthy appetite. Yes, absolutely. Uh, So during Victoria's reign, listen, I mean, this is just mind-boggling. So meals were four to six courses, and inside of those courses, each had seven to nine dishes. I'm sorry. I'm confused. So let's do the math. (laughs) I know. I 
I have to I have to stop here and digest literally this this so four You're... so let's imagine the small mm-hmm. end if we had four yeah. courses yes each with, with seven, seven dishes in mm-hmm. each course we're looking at 28 on the small yes or six courses times nine dishes is 54 dishes on the large end oh my gosh and that's just the start of your troubles because you had to eat you had to finish yours before the queen did and she was reportedly a very fast eater so the people who were served at these huge huge banquets the people who were served last rarely got to eat because oh no (laughs) she would be done and they would be moving on so they wouldn't have even been served or it would be put down and then whisk away so yeah that would have been a real a real challenge well see Um, if they had tupperware with them they could have just tucked (laughs) tucked their items into their little tupperware and none the wiser Perhaps the food historians have yet to discover that that yeah. uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that fact. Um, and then finally, Andrea Victoria regularly served like fine wines and sherries and ports with her meals, but she herself was a whiskey drinker. Oh gosh, <laughs> I love hearing all of this stuff. It really makes these people come alive and seem relatable. I I find whenever I'm traveling or touring or going to castles, I would much rather see a kitchen and learn this kind of stuff than I would go through an art gallery and see generations of you know family portraits. This kind of thing just makes you know makes it seem like these were real people doing real things. I love whiskey and gingerbread too. <laughs> Maybe I really am of royal blood. Well, I've long suspected, my friend. Indeed. I know. So that's just the tip of the iceberg. You and I often talk about food history of, you know, all around the world, and we love it so much. And I know our listeners do too. And I just really encourage you, even if you just search on Queen Victoria food, there's just multiple websites. There's tons and tons of stuff out there. It's really fun. It's a very fun rabbit hole to go down. So if you know some that we didn't cover, then please let us know. It'd be great. Yeah. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get this episode on to the cooling rack. Next week, we'll review the wedding cake heard round the world and introduce Prince Harry's most requested dessert. Bonus preheaters, it uses one of our favorite ingredients. And the globetrotting gourmet heads to Greece, where I bet she's going to eat a lot of baklava. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like our show, please do tell a friend. That is definitely how a lot of new people find us. And if you have a moment, please consider ranking and reviewing us on Google, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you download our podcast. Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.